You know that we're on a series um, called Killing Cupid. Um, it is what is the uh, what is biblical love? Um, so I figure if we're gonna do a series on relationships, then I have to at least do one actual talk on relationships. So on love, um, and I figure if I'm gonna kill Cupid during the series, I should give you another target to shoot for, right? So while we will be talking about the things that we want to dispel as myths when it comes to love tonight, I will also be giving you targets, hence why if you look down at your um, yak sheet, there are a bunch of myths and targets. Luckily for us, the Bible is full of love stories, everything from Adam and Eve to Samson and Delilah. Uh, Some of them are fairy tales are good. See Isaac and Rebecca. Some of them are not good. Some of them end in tragedy. Uh, See um, Aphanias and Sapphira. Um, So today we're going to look at romantic relationships. Now I know for some of you that's really far off. And I hope it is. Okay? I hope for some of you it is really far off. But we can't ignore it. For some of you, it might not be. We're having our first yak wedding in February between Taylor and Jason. So, like, love happens. So, like, we need to address this well so that if you do find yourself in the middle of a relationship in the next while, you can go about it the right way. So I wanted to give you an aim in the future. So even if you're, like, sixth grade, I know Reagan's, like, not scoping out her list of suitors right now, but she doesn't need to. She's in sixth grade. Hopefully you can still take these things later on and you can use them. So let me pray. We'll get to today. So Father God, as we look at the biblical model for relationships, Lord, I ask that you give us wisdom. Relationships are fraught with people, and all people are different, which makes all relationships different, which makes all relationships a headache. Um, Lord, that we have to navigate, we have to work out, we have to figure out how does this work? How do we glorify you? But at the same time, is this the right person for me? Should I even be dating? All these different questions pop up. And Lord, I pray that this would be used as a jumping off point for students with parents as they discuss relationships um, and just a beginning of the conversation that they have with themselves about what type of relationships they want to find themselves in. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I will say this. When you go home tonight and your parents are like, what did AJ teach on tonight? And you're like, dating. Okay? I am not the dating guru. Okay? This is a jumping off point for your parents and you. Okay? So you don't get to have this conversation at home. Like you said uh, that I could do this. Well, I say you can't. Well, AJ works in the church. So (laughs) this is more true. No, you don't get to say that, okay? So as we jump into this topic tonight, you don't get to, like, blame AJ later. But we need to talk about some dating stuff, okay? So today we're going to dispel some myths, set some targets, hence why it targets less on your reaction. And we're going to do this by transversing Genesis 29. So if you got your Bible, you got your eye whatever on you, turn to Genesis 29, okay? Um, originally, this was just going to be the last talk on love. This was going to be the last Killing Cupid. But... Jacob, who we're going to look at tonight, is really screwed up. So as I 
was halfway through this lesson, I went, well, I can end it here, or it can be 50 minutes long. So there's going to be two weeks on relationships. This is part one. Part two, come back next week for. Um, so let's jump to Genesis 29. We're going to be in Scripture a lot tonight, which is where you should be when you're jumping into relationships. So let's start there. We're going to start at Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in a field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well in the water and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, the shepherds, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. And he said to them, it is, is it well with them? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day, and it is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Why do the sheep and go and pasture them? But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban's, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Mm? Mm? Mm. That's a love story, right? Now, let me fill you in on a little background of Jacob, because some of you are like, who's Jacob? I know a Jacob at school, but I don't remember him telling me this story. So who's Jacob? Jacob is a trickster. Okay? Jacob is a trickster. He's the guy who is wrestling his brother Esau in the womb. And literally, as they were heading out as twins, grabbed Esau's foot as he was being born, just so he could be right behind his brother. He's the guy that tricked his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then when his blind father was giving out blessings before he felt like he was soon to pass, he snuck in, pretended to be his brother, and stole his brother's blessing from his father Isaac. This guy is a trickster. He is also, and he's also a trickster that has heard the story. Of his father, Isaac, meeting his mom, Rebecca, probably a hundred times over the dinner table. And if you know the story at all, Rebecca meets the servant of Isaac and Abraham at a well. So it's these thought problems. Oh, I'm at a well. Is there a lady? Okay. A servant is sent to a foreign land to find a bride for Isaac. And the Lord provided. And now Isaac has sent his son Jacob on a similar crusade. So Jacob shows up at the well, meets shepherds who are under his uncle's employment. That's a good sign. He was not to marry a Canaanite. He was to marry somebody from his own tribe. And he asks why they're waiting to water the sheep. It's past the time of day to do that. They should be in the fields pasturing. The shepherds respond that they literally have to wait for all the shepherds to get together so that they can move the big block of stone that covers the well. 
The block, of, the block that's covering the well is so heavy, they got to wait for all the shepherds to get together so they can move it easily. Okay? Well, Jacob sees Rachel and goes, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't need words. <coughs> right? Mm-hmm. Plus, she's a working woman. Even better. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mind getting her hands dirty. It's a shepherdess. It's a good-looking woman. I can move this rock for you, ma'am. Watch this feat of strength. And he's able to move the whole thing, something that all the shepherds waiting for all their buddies to move. Now water your sheep. You like that? Hey? And he gives her a kiss, probably on the cheek or the forehead, and says, hey, I'm part of your family. You might have heard the story of my mother's Oh, you're, uh, my mother and uh, my father's servant meeting at a well. Hey, these, all these things are happening, right? Um, now, we got to compare those stories, right? Because while there are similarities, and Jacob is probably clinging to these similarities pretty hardcore, right? There are a lot of differences. Okay, so we're going to flip back in time to Genesis 24. So jump there. You got your Bible? Jump to Genesis 24. We're going to jump around. Because if we read all of Genesis 24, we'd be here all night. So let me give you the footnote play-by-play leading up to where we're at. Okay, I'm going to summarize. Abraham appoints a servant to go get a wife for his son Isaac. Okay, so what does the servant do? Verse 10, then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. This is a side one. I thought about this point after, but let's think about it here. Jacob shows up. He didn't bring anything, so they're going to have to like barter for what he needs to do later. Isaac, Isaac's servant, has prepared for the trip. He knows what he's going to get. He's not walking into this blind hoping he's going to stumble across some beauty at a well. Okay, so continue. So taking all sorts sorts uh, choice gifts from his master, he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And as he goes to the well at the evening time to water his camels, he prays, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. We're in verse 13. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one who you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Myth number one that we're going to bust tonight. I'm going to jump on some soapboxes. I'm going to try to stay on in a short time. Unfortunately, with relationships, sometimes I just see patterns over and over again. It's a little frustrating because they're dumb patterns. But myth one, you, you don't trust your friends with your love. Don't trust your friends with your love. Oh your heart knows what it wants. <laughs> Help you. Like, oh, we talked about this last week. Your friends should be your first line of defense. They should be the boundary to your heart. If all your friends think the guy or the girl you're going out with is screwed up 
And you're the only one that's like, no, they're perfect for me. Listen, you're an idiot. Okay? You're a fool. You got some blinders on. I don't care how good they look. Okay? If all your friends are like, you shouldn't be hanging out with them, you might want to listen. That's myth number one. We see this all the time. Turn on the CW for like one evening. And they're like, no, he's good for me. I promise. Like, stop. Okay, with this. Stop with that. Okay? Target one. Target one. Trust the people who loved you first. Trust the people who loved you first. If you would trust your friends in all areas of your life, except for that relationship where you're at a disagreement with them, newsflash, you might be the problem. <laughs> like, I'm saying this and we're laughing, right? But I've been doing this for over 12 years. And this has happened over and over and over again. Okay? This wouldn't be a target if I was just making up a straw man. Stop it. Okay? Trust the people that have loved you first. That's your parents. That's your siblings. Okay? Even your siblings that want you miserable. Like, all the time. Like, even if they're like, no, they're not for you. Like, you might want to trust them. Okay? If he says at some point, no, he's an, he's he's just a jerk face. Like, I... Yeah, I'm talking to you, okay? I know you're like, most of the time, like, dude, you're a screw-off. I'm not, I'm not going to take it. If he's telling you that, take his advice, okay? Same way, same thing, same thing, you two, okay? Myth number two, I can do it my way. I can do it my way. Like the Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. Many of you will go into romantic relationships Seeking no advice, let alone seeking the Lord. Well, I could just do it my way. This is my relationship. I'm a unique individual. Therefore, this relationship will be unique. No, it'll be like every other one, the 99% that end in failure. Okay? Right? Both Abraham before him, his servant here, And Isaac, at the end of the chapter, are all praying to God. All of them are invoking the Lord. Lord, send the servant out to find a wife for me or Isaac, my son. They're praying that. Okay? They are involving God in their decisions. Isaac is even trusting his father's servant to find him a suitable bride. Talk about trust. He's not even the one doing the hunting. Talk about trusting the Lord. Target two. Pray about it. And have people you trust praying for you about it. If you feel called to a relationship, pray about it. Okay? Talk to your friends about your desire. And then have them pray. Pray that God would deliver or that God would quench your desire. Now, I have to bring this up because... Man, oh man. It happens a lot more in female relationships. You girls can talk to it, I'm sure, a lot more than I can. But the number of people I meet that say this. God wouldn't have given me the desire for marriage if he didn't want me to be married. 
Like, that might as well be like a bumper sticker for some of you girls. He would never do that to me. Yeah, he would. And it might not be his desire. It might be yours, right? Like, I'm going to get calls, okay? We idolize marriage in our, like, little reformed Christian community. Like, to be unmarried, a lot of times single people are treated like someone broken. Like, oh, they're the single people in church, the 30. we got to set them up so they can finally be complete. Like your second-class citizens. No, I pray that some of you are called to singleness. Paul does too. But we're like, oh, I mean, you're. T- When's it going to happen? Honey, have you been on any dates yet? You're going to start getting that when you're like in your 20s and you're single, right? Like, this happens all the time. We feel this way. Like, oh, I'm just not. I'm not a real man unless I'm married. <laughs> or I'm not a real woman unless I'm married. Like, that is a myth. That's a myth. You're not a less of a person if you're single. If anything, you can spend more of your time working for Jesus. Let's be real. I'd pro- if I was single, I'd probably be at like your games and performances and stuff every night of the week and the nights I weren't. I'd probably be at your homes having meals. I'd be hanging out with you guys all the time. I'd be like youth pastor extravagant. You know what I mean? But most of the time, I'm at home with a screaming, crying baby in one hand and telling my other kids to stop punching each other with the other. Like, my tasks are divided. So, have people praying about it. But make sure you're having people pray for the right things. The Lord wouldn't give me this desire if he didn't want me to have it. He might not have given you the desire. Stop attributing your desires to God. Hey? Sorry, we're back. May the phone calls commence. Okay, so Rebecca comes and does all that the servant has asked the Lord. Okay, we're back at the story of Isaac and Rebecca. She fulfills everything that the servant had asked. She runs and tells her household, just like Rachel does in a few chapters. And notice what the servant does when he enters the home in verse 38. This is what the servant of Isaac and Abraham says. This, we're still in chapter 24. He says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. And he's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants, female servants, camels, donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. To him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son for the daughters of Canaanites who dwell in the land, but you shall go to the father's house to my clan and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. And he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper you your way. You shall take a wife for my son from the clan from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath and when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. Such eloquent words. Hey? Essentially, he's giving the story. This is what God's done. You remember Abraham? Yeah, that old dude? Sarah, the old woman? How would you like to be known as that, ladies, the whole time in Scripture? Okay? The old chick. Yeah? Okay? But 
He's, he's pointing out the story of God. He's invoking God the whole time. Now let's jump back. Chapter 29, verse 13. Let's see what Jacob, he's got it all together, right? He should get this down pat. He's heard the story. So what does he do? Verse 13, chapter 29. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. It's a great pickup line, guys. Um, <laughs> Rachel, J- sorry, Jacob loved Rachel. Why? Because she was beautiful in form and appearance. And he said, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. What, t- what a ringing endorsement, right? Well, I mean, you walked in. <laughs> so the servant talks about the Lord. Jacob, on the other hand, is only interested in the bride price. What do I got to give you to get her? No mention of I come from this line that's been blessed by God. Nothing. I'll work seven years for her. Woohoo! Romantic, right, ladies? <laughs> okay, myth three. Myth three. Don't bring up religion on your first date. Don't bring up religion on your first date. I'm going to try not to get angry when I say this. If I have one more of these students come up to me after a date, and I ask, because I always ask, are they a believer? And your response is, I don't know. Well, maybe. <laughs> Look, I don't want to go to prison. Okay? <laughs> I don't. But if there's one reason AJ might, man, like, that's the prereq, okay? That's the prereq. Look, if you want God to be the center of your relationship, you can't insert him later on. He's got to be there from the beginning. It's just how it is. If you want oxygen to be the center of your relationship, you don't insert it into the third date. They're dead by then. Okay? Christ has got to be the center of it. Yes, there are examples where God uses a believer to bring a pagan to saving faith. I get that. But there are just as many divorces out there where it didn't work out. I have dear friends who I've walked through this with. Just don't. Don't play with fire. Okay? Target three. If you are about God, then your date will fall in line or will walk away. If you are about God, then your date will fall in line or they will walk away. Look, this is one of those boundaries we were talking about last week. And notice how I'm not saying, go find a good Christian boy or girl. I'm saying, be a Christian boy or girl. May that be the boundary that defines you. 
And when someone comes up and wants to join you in this journey of life, because that's one of your boundaries, they're either going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. Hey, I'm a believer too. We should, we should run this race together. This would be fun. Or they're going to be like, uh, why are you always gone one day a weekend? Like, I mean, I'm kind of like a Sunday morning. I like pancakes. Like, you know what I mean? Let it be one of your boundaries. Look, if you want a relationship and a marriage that is built on mutual admiration for the Lord, you should want this, okay? And I love this statistic. It gives me such hope. On a research project led by Christopher Ellison at the University of Texas, San Antonio, and reported in the Journal of Marriage and Family. So this is, you know, this is a non-Christian university. This is a scientific journal. One of the outcomes of the study led to the National Association of Marriage Enhancement in Phoenix, Arizona. This is on www. Um, sorry, I got that wrong. To report that when couples prayed together on a daily basis, when couples, married couples, prayed together on a daily basis, less than 1% of those couples would end up getting divorced. That was one out of 1,156. Further, so it's not just staying together. Okay, we're together, but we're miserable. Okay? It's not just staying together. Those couples who shared the same faith and who regularly attended church services together reported a higher level of marital satisfaction. Those who were involved in other church activities together were reported an even higher level of mutual happiness and satisfaction. The most interesting finding to me is that when couples shared religious practices at home, which included reading the Bible together and praying together, the level of marital satisfaction was even significantly higher. Those shared behaviors in the home had a strong impact on how satisfied each was with their marriage. The strength of those statistics on shared religious practices were strong enough that the researchers also believed that if the couples would share those practices in their home, those behaviors could be seen as predictors of a strong marriage and obviously a high degree of marital satisfaction. Anyone want to be happy in marriage? Okay, so, so I know some of you. So if you do, here's the blueprint. It's in the Bible. It's there. It's a target for. If you want to be satisfied in marriage... Be satisfied in the Lord. If you want to be satisfied in marriage, be satisfied in the Lord. I love what Pastor Derwin Gray says. He puts it so well. This was a tweet he had sometime last year. I forget when. It said this. If God himself loving is not enough to satisfy you, nothing will ever satisfy you. If God himself loving... Well, it's not enough to satisfy you. Nothing will ever satisfy you. Look, you can do love and dating the world's way. That's a choice. Free country, right? Or you can do it this other way. That is laid out. It's God's way. It's your call. But I love how Frederick Buechner puts it. I love this quote. If the world is sane, then Jesus is the mad, then Jesus is as mad as a hatter, and the Last Supper is a mad tea party. The world says, mind your own business. And Jesus says, there is no such thing as your own business. 
The world says, follow the wisest course and be a success. And Jesus says, follow me and be crucified. The world says, drive carefully. The life you save may be your own. And Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The world says law and order, and Jesus says love. The world says get, Jesus says give. In terms of the world's sanity, Jesus is the crazy coot. And anybody who thinks he can follow him without being a little crazy too is laboring less under a cross and more under a delusion. The best relationship advice I can give you is this. Be satisfied in the Lord. Be satisfied in the Lord. Because if you are satisfied in him, then if the Lord has destined you for marriage, it will be a marriage that is a threefold cord that is not easily broken. Ecclesiastes 4.12. So what we're going to do now, we're going to go to transformation groups. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to laugh a lot. Because these things are ridiculous, right? We're going to laugh at relationships. Hey, let me say this. Let's be honest with them. Let's share our hopes and dreams for what relationships are. And let's lean into the Lord on them. Reminder, what's said in these transformation groups, don't leave these transformation groups. Okay? So if people are talking about relationships and for some reason they mention a name, even though I say don't mention the name. You don't go to school the next day or you go tell your mom, you know what they said in transformation group? <laughs> Their view of relationships are ridiculous. They both want to wear like Pikachu onesies. Like what? What do they do? Walmart, Walmart, twelve dollars. Okay. So that's it for tonight.